Welcome to the studio with Christoph Malichuk. This is episode three. Thank you so much for listening. I'm really enjoying recording this podcast, and the audience just keeps growing. Right now, we have listeners on four continents, North America, Europe, Asia, and Oceania. I would love to have listeners on six continents, everything except for Antarctica. I think the only people who live in Antarctica are scientists. And if they listen, that's great, but I'm I'm not going to try to infiltrate that market. Where I think I have a lot of potential to grow, frankly, is Africa. I think I could be really big in Nigeria. So if you have friends who are African, please let them know. It would be great to be the biggest podcast in Sierra Leone or to be a celebrity in the Democratic Republic of the Congo. So thank you for listening. Thank you for telling your friends, especially if they live in Africa. On my side, I am continuing to try to make upgrades and improvements. Starting with episode two, and this is also true now for episode three, I unplug my fridge before recording because I don't want any background whir. I want it to be my voice and silence. Speaking of silence and pauses, I've been informed that I make pauses and there's some silence. And this is generally well-received. If you find the pacing too slow, I'm not going to talk faster, but on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, you can speed up the pace. You can listen at 1.2x, 1.25x, whatever these platforms offer. Just a tip. Also, as of episode two, I now turn off the heating in my house because I don't want any sound. I'm... I'm sacrificing myself. It gets cold. We got a lot of snow in Boulder last night, yet I'm turning the heat off for however long this is. And I'm also risking my food perishing in my fridge. That's how dedicated I am. I also have an equipment upgrade this time. I have acquired a pop filter. A pop filter is a piece of equipment, effectively a ring that is covered with mesh that you put between your mouth and the microphone. The purpose of this is to eliminate plosives. Plosives are popping type sounds that often occur when making the P or B sound. I'm very pleased because in past episodes, I did hear some of these undesirable effects. Right now, I'm saying P, I'm saying B, and the audio is crisp. I got this pop filter off of Amazon for a very cheap price. I think it was about $10, thousands of reviews, thousands of positive reviews, so I felt pretty good getting the product. It arrived at my house. I opened it. I see the packaging. And I started to have some doubts. 
I'm looking at the packaging right now. It says professional pop filter. Then it starts listing some of the specifications. Acoustic transparency, reduce noise, and wind protection. Not protection, but wind protection. I became slightly skeptical at this point. I continued reading the packaging. It talks about the double layer gauze filters, the flexible neck tube, and stability and rotection. Not protection, but rotection. So now I'm beginning to think that this shouldn't be called a professional pop filter because the packaging is not that professional. I imagine this is one of those Amazon products where people just get a factory to make their product. Like it's not, I don't think this, this company has a, a marketing team, for example. I don't think they have a lot of staff, but it seems to be working all right. I do find it funny that the word protection is the word that they misspelt twice, especially leaving off the first letter of the word, which is debatably the most important letter of the word. But protection is, it's a word that provides reassurance. That, that's the word that you want spelled more correctly than any other word. I'm fine if they misspell flexible. If I were, if I were in a foreign country and they brought me to hospital, but it was misspelled and it said hospital, I would rather find a different place. If I were to get, get offered an axine against Ovid, I would probably refuse. When I got this product, there was a card inside of the package that said I could go to their website, sign up, and then get a one-year warranty. Part of this warranty is that if there's a defect in the product, I would have to mail it to the company. They would inspect it and then send me another one for free. I would also have to cover the shipping cost to mail it. This product costs $10. I'm pretty sure shipping anything to China costs well over $10. So I don't think anyone is signing up for this warranty to, well, first of all, they're definitely not signing up if they're thinking properly. And I'm not so sure why this company is offering this warranty on such a cheap product. So I went to their website just to check it out. It's a disaster. The company is called Aokio. That's spelled A-O-K-E-O, aokio.net. The first thing I notice is that they have about six different fonts on their website. They have a search bar, which has search font in Times New Roman, I believe. They have a contact us button in Comic Sans. They have a shopping cart font in something else that's sans serif, bold, and then some other buttons in different fonts. 
not impressed so far. Oh, also, their link is to Amazon. That's at the very top. So, And also eBay. But I guess just reinforcing that this is not a legit company. They just sell stuff on Amazon. I scroll to the bottom of the website and I see where it says register here for your warranty. There's a place to put your phone number, your email address, and your name, and then clicking a box that says I agree to the privacy policy. The privacy policy is nowhere to be found. I even tried typing in privacy policy in their Times New Roman search bar. My thought is that this company doesn't make money through the sale of this $10 piece of equipment, but rather by getting people to sign up for the warranty and then they sell your information to either advertising agencies, maybe the Chinese government. I think this is a Chinese-based company. I think, I think this is a, a data-collecting operation that is hidden behind a audio company. So because I was, I had the foresight to not sign up for the warranty, I feel pretty good about this. I just got a, a very underpriced pop filter that seems to be doing a good job because I have said the letter P a lot and I'm not hearing any pops. And I also gave them none of my information. So that is a, that is a win. I am pleased with that. As mentioned in episode two, today, I want to talk about why I left San Francisco. But before I jump into that, I want to talk about a, an unexpected phone call I received yesterday from my boss during the time that I was an intern in Switzerland. This was in 2016 and 17. And my boss was a wonderful Ukrainian woman in her 50s, probably. I have not spoken to her since leaving the company in 2017. And I occasionally, rarely, sent her emails. I sent her an email earlier in 2020 because I hadn't sent her an email in, I think, two years, some very long period of time. And then I, I sent her a a Happy New Year, Merry Christmas email recently. She replied to this Happy New Year, Merry Christmas email saying, I don't like writing letters. What is your WhatsApp? So I text her on WhatsApp, and then yesterday get, get this call that I wasn't expecting, but I had time. So I answer it, and it's my, my old, my former supervisor, my former boss, Natalia. Wonderful lady. She says hi. I say hi. Then she just starts flipping out over my voice. She says, wow, your voice has changed so much. Before, I thought you were like a tenor, but now you're like a baritone, a, a bass singer. I, I say thank you. Frankly, I wasn't aware that my voice had changed so much since I was 19. I think typically, <laughs> I think typically men's voices don't change after the age of, I don't know, 15 or 16. <laughs> I guess maybe my voice reaches full maturity at 20. That's fine. We go on. 
I start talking to her. She asks me a question, just how I'm doing. I start answering. I'm probably 15 seconds into my answer. We're still in the very first minute of our conversation. She interrupts me in the middle of the sentence. She says, Christoph, your voice is so sexy. I was feeling great. I was really pleased to be talking to her. We keep on going. She's, she's a wonderfully honest woman and hilarious. She was telling me this story about how recently she had had two of her friends, they're a married couple, come visit her and they have a newborn baby. And the newborn baby seemed to really have an affection for Natalia. The, the newborn baby was kept on going and trying to like touch her leg, get closer to her. Natalia says, Christoph, it was disgusting. I hate babies. My respect for Natalia just continues to grow. I was loving this phone call. We keep talking. She says, Christoph, you know, I have this goddaughter. She lives in Ukraine, and at the end of January, she's turning 23. She just got her master's degree in English translation and interpretation. She has wealthy parents. She's quite attractive. But where she lives right now in Ukraine, there's no one she can really speak English with. And I would hate for her to start to lose her skills that she just worked so hard at to acquire during her, her master's degree. Now, w would you have interest in maybe Skyping with her, FaceTiming, and helping her work on her English? I, I saw what was going on here. This, this wasn't about English. So I, I call Natalia out right away. I say, Natalia, you're trying to set me up with your goddaughter. She says, yes, you're right. <laughs> which is flattering, which is tremendously flattering. Thank you, Natalia. I did, however, have to turn her down. At the end of the phone call, she hadn't quite fully grasped that I was not going to uh, enter into a, sorry, if there was music that was just playing, that is because I was opening up my phone so that I could read this WhatsApp message that I sent her this morning. Natalia said, well, just let me know what you think about working on English with my goddaughter. Today I say, Although I am very flattered and grateful that you are presenting me the opportunity to, in quotations, practice English with your attractive, wealthy, and educated goddaughter, I will have to graciously decline this unique offer. Which I think is a very nice message. She replies, I'm just reading this for the first time now, this is completely fine. Don't think about it. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. So that was great. Shout out to Natalia, my former boss, an absolutely lovely woman. I'm recording this from Boulder, Boulder, Colorado. I came here in September, and prior to that, I was living in San Francisco. And now I want to talk about why I chose to leave San Francisco. So there were a few factors that made this easier, more possible 
than during normal times, primarily the pandemic. I had been working from home since March. And it looks like I'm going to be continuing to work from home until at least July of this year of 2021. My San Francisco lease was coming to a close at the end of August. I thought, yes, I will be adventurous. I will seek a new opportunity. I'm going to get out of here. I chose Boulder. I thought it was the best possible place to live in the United States that is within a one-hour time zone change of San Francisco. Beautiful mountains, really neat community, a hippie culture, lots of nature. It's fantastic here. I could go on. I'd say yes, seeking adventure in this very unique time where most people, a lot of people with jobs in tech and similar jobs have the ability to work from their home, so there's no point in staying where your company is located. But on top of that, there were a lot of extra factors that made San Francisco particularly undesirable. I don't know why I'm speaking in the past tense, that make San Francisco particularly undesirable. I have a few items on this list. I'll go through some of them. Obviously, the cost of living is ridiculous. It's insane. San Francisco is this gentrified area where the cost of living has increased so much because these billion-dollar tech companies have moved there. They attract workers. They pay their workers really high salaries. And now there's not a super large area in the Bay. I mean, the Bay Area has limited space, and it just has this influx of super high-paid people which leads to increased cost of living. That's just how it goes. And also the space that you get for what you're paying for is not large. I was living in a three-bedroom apartment with no living room because the living room had been converted into one of the bedrooms. So the only common area was the kitchen. And this is not a standard. When I say a standard, I mean a as a negation. This is not unstandard. I don't know how to say that properly. It's pretty standard in San Francisco to have a living room converted to a bedroom. How about that? And especially when you need to work from home, living in a small, mediocre apartment that you're overpaying for with two roommates, not the ideal life situation. Not to mention the population density. San Francisco has a higher population density than Shanghai, than Beijing. It has roughly the same population density as Shenzhen. I believe that New York has a higher population density, but of course it does. New York is renowned as being this huge Western metropolis. San Francisco is not far behind. And in a pandemic, when... Social distancing is something that is desirable, enforced by law even. It's, it's not fantastic to be in this super dense city. Boulder's beautiful. Boulder, I have a lawn. I couldn't even imagine how much I would have to pay in San Francisco to get a lawn. 
if I'm feeling cooped up in my house here, oh, I just step on out onto my porch and look at the large expanse of my front yard. That's beautiful. Every year in California, there are wildfires. And every couple years, the wildfires are really bad. This past year was one of those years. Even if you thought COVID was a government hoax and you get all your news from QAnon, if you lived in San Francisco, you would still wear a mask just to protect yourself from the wildfires. It's so bad. It's hard to breathe. It sucks to leave the house. It sucks to stay in the house because the, the, the smoky air gets through the windows and then you're just in this torture chamber stuck with two roommates with not enough room, no living room, and doing that every day of the week. I was quite fortunate. A few days after I left San Francisco at the very end of August to move to Boulder, the sky there turned red. There was this weird atmospheric phenomenon with the smoke, the unbreathable air, the air quality index through the roof, unbreathable. You would far prefer to live in some, well, I, I guess I don't want to harp on China, but China is notorious for their poor air quality. You would rather live in, in Shenzhen in the middle of the summer than live in San Francisco, which is right next to the Pacific Ocean, which should have this wonderful breeze and airflow. And also, this isn't just San Francisco. This is the Bay Area as a whole. If you lived in Cupertino, Sunnyvale, Palo Alto, you're getting hit by the wildfires. This is actually a California problem that I'm talking about right now, a Northern California problem. Actually, it affects LA too. The whole state is on fire and you can't breathe. Not anymore. This is only for a particular period of time. But I was very glad to get out of there and move to Colorado. Now, in California's defense, the fires hit Colorado pretty badly this year. And a lot of people who live not very far from me had to evacuate their homes. But even when I had trouble breathing in Colorado due to the wildfires, at the very least I could look out my window and see my nice lawn. I could talk about taxes. California has such high taxes. San Francisco imposes additional taxes on top of the California taxes. Now look, I'm not very against paying taxes, especially if the money is well allocated. Now in the case of California and San Francisco, I am not very convinced that the money is well allocated. I'm not going to stay on this taxes point too much because in theory, I'm fine paying a bit more getting a bit less of my income, if we can have healthcare, uh, actually that doesn't exist in the US, if we can have clean streets, not the case, if we can have the poorest people in society living good quality lives because they get support from the government, also not the case, I don't know where the taxes are going, so I guess I'm actually not very pleased with paying large amounts of them. This is particular to California. I think there are definitely places where you can see the results of your taxes. I think Europe actually in particular 
many European countries. That's just a huge blanket statement. I'd say Germany, Switzerland, you can see the positive results of paying taxes, which is fantastic. Here, not so much. Maybe Highway 1 in California is paved really nicely. So what? I'd rather have a bumpy Highway 1 than walk outside of my house and see seven homeless people. But that's just me. At the time I left San Francisco, there was a lot of social unrest. I think there were two factors behind this. One, a lot of people were out of work. The people who weren't out of work happened to be the richest people in society. Those who work in tech, who can work from home easily, who are unaffected by the pandemic, who have money in stocks, and the stock market just kept on going up. There was a bit of a dip at the beginning of the pandemic, but that became so rapidly erased by the huge growth that was experienced, which is totally unreflective of the actual lives of the American people, also of the Canadian people. This is just true in North America. So now you have these people who, like, look, I'm complaining about cost of living. I have a decent job. There are people who make, I don't know, they work full time at a grocery store making not much money. I think $15 an hour is the minimum wage, something like that. They can hardly afford to live. Suddenly they, they don't have their job anymore. Maybe grocery store was a bad example because those could actually stay open during the pandemic. Let me talk about non-essential businesses. Maybe an arts and crafts store. A hardware store. I'm sure the demand for a lot of oh, construction crews dropped greatly. I think you couldn't do construction at certain points during the, during the pandemic, especially in the early stages. These people are not making much money, struggling to make ends meet. They're told they can't work. And the people who can work are the wealthy. This is creating this just growing income inequality and economic divide, a class difference that was surely not leading to a peaceful atmosphere. Add on top of that, the very viral killing of black people by police officers in other parts of the country, which led to an international Black Lives Matter movement against racial inequality, police violence. This also did not lead to sunshine and flowers and happiness in the city, especially because there is a sizable population of black people in San Francisco who also happen to be uh, more... They happen to be disproportionately at the bottom of the socioeconomic hierarchy. So you have this income inequality, you have this racial movement that just creates tension. I lived in a nice neighborhood. I didn't see any looting. There was definitely looting, though. There weren't protests by my house. But even when I left my apartment to go to a local coffee shop, get a coffee. There was just a tension in the air, which I really didn't like. Moving to Boulder, those two things are far less applicable. 
is there income inequality here? Yes. Are black people predominantly at the bottom of the socioeconomic hierarchy in Boulder? I don't know. I don't really see any black people here. I mentioned income inequality leading to tension. Income inequality also leads to homelessness. San Francisco has a awful problem with homelessness. And it just got worse during the pandemic. If I were to walk from where I lived in Russian Hill to Union Square, which is not a long walk, a couple of kilometers, I would pass by so many tents. Some side streets are just tent villages. You would think you were in a, a national park and that people were out camping, but they're not because it's a sidewalk. It's sad. It's unfortunate. And it definitely reduces one's enjoyment of living there. And sure, you can smell urine, you can smell feces, it's not pleasant. But if I am walking down the sidewalk in San Francisco, and on one side of me, I see a homeless man lying unconscious on the street, smelling terribly, urine sand on his pants, on the other side of the sidewalk, I see a tech worker walking towards me. Three times out of 10? Why why would I say three times out of 10? Sorry. Nine times out of 10, I would far rather walk closer to the homeless person and be further away from the tech worker because there are a lot of tech workers in San Francisco who absolutely disgust me. The people who pretend to care so much about inequality, who walk by the disenfranchised, the homeless, those forgotten by society, think about how sad it is, how unfortunate the system is, and then they go to their home, open up their Robinhood investing app and drop $5,000 into a cryptocurrency that they hadn't heard of until yesterday when they read an article about it on Forbes. These people are prevalent. They are everywhere. They lie to themselves. Their actions are inconsistent with their beliefs. And in order for them to live with themselves, in order for them to to not realize that they are everything that they hate, they pretend they are great people. They virtue signal, they read the right books, they post the right things on Instagram, they say the right things to their friends and at parties. And they disgust me. These are people who were raised in middle upper class and wealthy families in cities and suburbs, probably had a father who was a doctor and a mother who was an engineer or the other way around and never had to worry about money in their life. 
They go to some university. They're told their whole life they can make a difference. They care so much about equality. They see all the evils in a hyper-capitalist system. Then they graduate, and guess what? They become right entrenched into this hyper-capitalist system. They are the technocratic elite. And how do they make themselves feel better? Well, maybe, maybe they'll donate, who knows, $1,000 to a charity that's going to help with, with this awful inequality. Maybe every couple of weeks they'll give $10 to a homeless person and they'll feel great about themselves. They'll feel like they're making a positive impact on the world, like their existence is, is making the earth a better place. That is peanuts, that is garbage, that is despicable. These people are making $100,000, $300,000 a year, getting paid boatloads of cash and getting stock options through the roof. And they think they're not part of the problem because they donated $1,000 to charity under 1% of their income, not to mention they're going to get a tax break off of that donation. And don't get me wrong. Donating to charities that have positive impacts on the world, that, that's, that's a wonderful thing to do. But donating to charity does not offset all the rest of your activities. These people think they're great because they post something on their Instagram story that they read on some socialist Instagram page where most of the people there are actually struggling maybe making $20,000 a year, can hardly pay their rent, were lied to their whole lives, saying that they should go and pursue what they're passionate about. They get a liberal arts degree. They get thousands of dollars in debt, not even tens of thousands, sometimes $100,000 in debt. They come out of school and realize there's not a job for them to apply their passion to. They were lied to by their parents, by their teachers, by their university professors. Those people... Those people don't disgust me. I totally understand where they're coming from. But then you have these tech workers in the exact same circles, thinking they're in the exact same situation, when in reality, they are the people that they hate. They just don't realize it because they lie to themselves. They think they are good, but they are not. You spend 40, 50, 60 hours a week working at Facebook or Google, tracking people's data, selling information, making the world effectively and objectively worse place. You came from some upper middle class family, moved to San Francisco after graduating, effectively continuing the gentrification that is already way too much of an issue. Continuing to increase the cost of living, pushing those at the bottom of the socioeconomic hierarchy out of their houses. And you are the one who thinks all this inequality is such an issue. Well, guess what? It's because of you. You are everything that you love to hate. Oh, and by the way, all of these... 
purple-haired college grads who you think you share the exact same code of ethics with and have such sympathy for, if they got their way, you would be the first to go. Right now, they tolerate you because you are fighting with them against the system. But you're a kulak. You're at the top of the hierarchy. They hate you. They see through your lies. You don't. You San Franciscan scum. You're the driving force of inequality. Now, let's talk about me. Because I worked in tech and I lived in San Francisco. So what makes me so different from all these other people? Well, primarily and to start, I don't think I'm a fucking saint. I realize that my existence might have some negative impact. Now, would I love to create a, a, an overarching positive impact on the world and have my existence just be the most beautiful thing for those in my community and those in my country. Yes. Is that the case now? Probably, unfortunately not. I hope that I provide some value to my friends and my family. But when I was living in San Francisco, was I probably causing more harm than good? Yes. And do I acknowledge that? Yes. Do I think my impact is lower and bolder? Yes. If your actions don't align with your values, you should either, well, first, yet yeah, realize it, don't lie to yourself, and either change your, change your values or change your actions. Now, I don't hate these tech people. Do they rub me the wrong way? Yes. Do they disgust me? Occasionally. Do I fundamentally love them? Yes. Yes, I, I, I aspire to love everyone. And I don't think they're malicious. I just think they're misguided and they're blind to what they're actually doing. I like the unapologetically rich, because at least they're not lying to themselves. Maybe I shouldn't say I like them. I do have an issue with some of their moral codes. But at least their actions are consistent with their beliefs. That's something to think about. Think about what you value, what you hold as a virtue. And truly ask yourself, are you behaving in alignment with what you believe, with what you think, with what's right? If not, that's cause for some serious self-reflection and maybe a difference in how you live your day-to-day -day life. Well, this is a fun podcast. Yes, this is great. We have a sponsor today. This is a great time to go to our sponsor. Our sponsor is not at the top of the socioeconomic hierarchy. He is Alex Amon, an artist in, like well, is based out of Quebec. Also one of my friends from high school, a dear friend of mine. 
You can find him on Instagram at alexamo.art. Amo is spelled E-M-O-N-D. That is Alex, E-M-O-N-D, dot art on Instagram. Alex is a pretty multi-talented guy. He works in the forestry industry. But he's very artistic and very talented, and he sells both commission and non-commission paintings. Let's say you have a house and you want to decorate. You want to put up a nice canvas on the wall. You can get him to paint you something. Check out his style. At the very least, just follow him on Instagram. I follow numerous artists on Instagram, including Alex, and I would follow him even if he weren't my friend because I, I truly like what he paints. He paints nature scenes, Canadian nature scenes. He's like an artist from the group of seven. He's a modern-day Tom Thompson. Probably my favorite painting of his is called Tea Lake. It was a commission piece. And in order for you to see what it looks like, you can go check out his Instagram. I wish I had a, a very good story to tell about Alex, because I did go to high school with him. I also went to grade school with him. But I seem to have forgotten so many moments from those years of my life. So I went through some of the messages that Alex and I have exchanged in recent years. And one of them I, I will share. It was him talking about a memory that he had of me. Frankly, I, I don't really recall this, <laughs> uh, but I'm, I'm sure it happened. And it was in, in high school. He says, I'll never forget the day we were in French class when Christophe walked in and announced he had just killed God. Wow. That is a very powerful idea. Actually, Nietzsche talks about that in Thus Spoke Zarathustra which I am currently reading, but I hadn't read that yet at the time. Uh, so it's nice to see that some of my ideas parallel those of the great German philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche. Alex paints in oil. I should mention that. You know who else painted in oil? Vincent van Gogh, Monet, Manet, Rembrandt, Renoir. All these people painted in oil, and Alex does too. He's a, a legitimate painter, a wonderful and talented artist. Check out his Instagram at alexemond.art. And you can also check me out on Instagram, at Malechuk. That is my last name, spelled M-A-L-E-J-C-Z-U-K, at Malechuk. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts. Yes, we are on Apple Podcasts now. Make sure to follow me on Spotify. Leave a, leave a review. Leave a rating on Apple Podcasts. DM me your feedback. Tell your friends. Tell your friends in Africa. Thank you so much for listening. This is The Studio with Christoph Malachuk.